Chapter 24, Beverages. Part 1, Water Drinking. Pure water is a blessing. In health and in sickness, pure water is one of heaven's choicest blessings. Its proper use promotes health. It is the beverage which God provided to quench the thirst of animals and man. Drunk freely, it helps to supply the necessities of the system and assists nature to resist disease. I should eat sparingly, thus relieving my system of unnecessary burden, and should encourage cheerfulness and give myself the benefits of proper exercise in the open air. I should bathe frequently and drink freely of pure, soft water. Use of water in sickness. Water can be used in many ways to relieve suffering. Drafts of clear, hot water taken before eating, half quart more or less, will never do any harm, but will rather be productive of good. Thousands have died for want of pure water and pure air who might have lived. These blessings they need in order to become well. If they would become enlightened and let medicine alone and accustom themselves to outdoor exercise and to air in their houses summer and winter and use soft water for drinking and bathing purposes, they would be comparatively well and happy instead of dragging out a miserable existence. In fever cases, if in their fevered state water had been given them to drink freely and applications had also been made externally, long days and nights of suffering would have been saved and many precious lives spared. But thousands have died with raging fevers consuming them until the fuel which fed the fever was burned up, the vitals consumed, and have died in the greatest agony without being permitted to have water to allay their burning thirst. Water which is allowed a senseless building to put out the raging elements is not allowed human beings to put out the fire which is consuming the vitals. A right and wrong use of water. Many make a mistake in drinking cold water with their meals. Taken with meals, water diminishes the flow of the salivary glands, and the colder the water, the greater the injury to the stomach. Ice water or ice lemonade drunk with meals will arrest digestion until the system has imparted sufficient warmth to the stomach to enable it to take up its work again. Hot drinks are debilitating, and besides, those who indulge in their use become slaves to the habit. Food should not be washed down. No drink is needed with meals. Eat slowly and allow the saliva to mingle with the food. The more liquid there is taken into the stomach with the meals, the more difficult it is for the food to digest, for the liquid must first be absorbed. Do not eat largely of salt. Give up bottled pickles. Keep fiery spiced food out of your stomach. Eat fruit with your meals, and the irritation which calls for so much drink will cease to exist. 
But if anything is needed to quench thirst, pure water, drunk some little time before or after the meal, is all that nature requires. Never take tea, coffee, beer, wine, or any spirituous liquors. Water is the best liquid possible to cleanse the tissues. Part 2. Tea and Coffee The Stimulating Effects of Tea and Coffee The stimulating diet and drink of this day are not conducive to the best state of health. Tea, coffee, and tobacco are all stimulating and contain poisons. They are not only unnecessary, but harmful, and should be discarded if we would add to knowledge temperance. Tea is poisonous to the system. Christians should let it alone. The influence of coffee is in a degree the same as tea, but the effect upon the system is still worse. Its influence is exciting, and just in the degree that it elevates above par, it will exhaust and bring prostration below par. The skin becomes sallow and assumes a lifeless appearance. The glow of health is not seen upon the countenance. Diseases of every stripe and type have been brought upon human beings by the use of tea and coffee and the narcotics, opium and tobacco. These hurtful indulgences must be given up, not only one, but all, for all are hurtful and ruinous to the physical, mental, and moral powers and should be discontinued from a health standpoint. Never take tea, coffee, beer, wine, or any spiritous liquors. Water is the best liquid possible to cleanse the tissues. Tea, coffee, and tobacco, as well as alcoholic drinks, are different degrees in the scale of artificial stimulants. The effect of tea and coffee, as heretofore shown, tends in the same direction as that of wine and cider, liquor and tobacco. Coffee is a hurtful indulgence. It temporarily excites the mind to unwanted action, but the after-effect is exhaustion, prostration, paralysis of the mental, moral, and physical powers. The mind becomes enervated, and unless through determined effort the habit is overcome, the activity of the brain is permanently lessened. All these nerve irritants are wearing away the life forces and the restlessness caused by shattered nerves, the impatience, the mental feebleness, become a warring element antagonizing to spiritual progress. Then should not those who advocate temperance and reform be awake to counteract the evils of these injurious drinks? In some cases, it is as difficult to break up the tea and coffee habit as it is for the inebriate to discontinue the use of liquor. The money expended for tea and coffee is worse than wasted. They do the user only harm, and that continually. Those who use tea, coffee, opium, and alcohol may sometimes live to an old age, 
but this fact is no argument in favor of the use of these stimulants. What these persons might have accomplished, but failed to do because of their intemperate habits, the great day of God alone will reveal. Those who resort to tea and coffee for stimulation to labor will feel the evil effects of this course in trembling nerves and lack of self-control. Tired nerves need rest and quiet. Nature needs time to recuperate her exhausted energies. But if her forces are goaded on by the use of stimulants, there is, whenever this process is repeated, a lessening of real force. For a time, more may be accomplished under the unnatural stimulus but gradually it becomes more difficult to arouse the energies to the desired point, and at last exhausted nature can no longer respond. Harmful effects attributed to other causes. The habit of drinking tea and coffee is a greater evil than is often suspected. Many who have accustomed themselves to the use of stimulating drinks suffer from headache and nervous prostration and lose much time on account of sickness. They imagine they cannot live without the stimulus and are ignorant of its effect upon health. What makes it the more dangerous is that its evil effects are so often attributed to other causes. Effects on Mind and Morals through the use of stimulants, the whole system suffers. The nerves are unbalanced, the liver is morbid in its action, the quality and circulation of the blood are affected, and the skin becomes inactive and sallow. The mind, too, is injured. The immediate influence of these stimulants is to excite the brain to undue activity, only to leave it weaker and less capable of exertion. The after-effect is prostration, not only mental and physical, but moral. As a result, we see nervous men and women of unsound judgment and unbalanced mind. They often manifest a hasty, impatient, accusing spirit, viewing the faults of others as through a magnifying glass and utterly unable to discern their own defects. When these tea and coffee users meet together for social entertainment, the effects of their pernicious habit are manifest. All partake freely of the favorite beverages, and as the stimulating influence is felt, their tongues are loosened, and they begin the wicked work of talking against others. Their words are not few or well chosen. The tidbits of gossip are passed around, too often the poison of scandal as well. These thoughtless gossipers forget that they have a witness. An unseen watcher is writing their words in the books of heaven. All these unkind criticisms, these exaggerated reports, these envious feelings expressed under the excitement of the cup of tea, Jesus registers as against himself. Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. We are already suffering because of the wrong habits of our fathers, and yet how many take a course in every way worse than theirs, 
opium, tea, coffee, tobacco, and liquor are rapidly extinguishing the spark of vitality still left in the race. Every year millions of gallons of intoxicating liquors are drunk and millions of dollars are spent for tobacco. And the slaves of appetite, while constantly spending their earnings in sensual indulgence, rob their children of food and clothing and the advantages of education. There can never be a right state of society while these evils exist. Create nervous excitement, not strength. You are highly nervous and excitable. Tea has an influence to excite the nerves, and coffee benumbs the brain. Both are highly injurious. You should be careful of your diet. Eat the most wholesome, nourishing food and keep yourself in a calm state of mind where you will not become so excited and fly into a passion. Tea acts as a stimulant and, to a certain extent, produces intoxication. The action of coffee and many other popular drinks is similar. The first effect is exhilarating. The nerves of the stomach are excited. These convey irritation to the brain, and this in turn is aroused to impart increased action to the heart and short-lived energy to the entire system. Fatigue is forgotten. The strength seems to be increased. The intellect is aroused. The imagination becomes more vivid. Because of these results, Many suppose that their tea or coffee is doing them great good. But this is a mistake. Tea and coffee do not nourish the system. Their effect is produced before there has been time for digestion and assimilation. And what seems to be strength is only nervous excitement. When the influence of the stimulant is gone, the unnatural force abates and the result is a corresponding degree of languor and debility. The continued use of these nerve irritants is followed by headache, wakefulness, palpitation of the heart, indigestion, trembling, and many other evils, for they wear away the life forces. Tired nerves need rest and quiet instead of stimulation and overwork. Nature needs time to recoup her exhausted energies. When her forces are goaded on by the use of stimulants, more will be accomplished for a time, but as the system becomes debilitated by their constant use, it gradually becomes more difficult to rouse the energies to the desired point. The demand for stimulants becomes more difficult to control until the will is overborne and there seems to be no power to deny the unnatural craving. Stronger and still stronger stimulants are called for until exhausted nature can no longer respond. No food value. The health is in no way improved by the use of those things which stimulate for a time, but afterward cause a reaction which leaves the system lower than before. Tea and coffee whip up the flagging energies for the time being, 
but when their immediate influence has gone, a feeling of depression is the result. These beverages have no nourishment whatever in themselves. The milk and sugar it contains constitute all the nourishment afforded by a cup of tea or coffee. Spiritual perception blunted. Tea and coffee are stimulating. Their effects are similar to those of tobacco, but they affect in a lesser degree. Those who use these slow poisons, like the tobacco user, think they cannot live without them because they feel so very bad when they do not have these idols. Those who indulge a perverted appetite do it to the injury of health and intellect. They cannot appreciate the value of spiritual things. Their sensibilities are blunted, and sin does not appear very sinful, and truth is not regarded of greater value than earthly treasure. Tea and coffee drinking is a sin, an injurious indulgence, which, like other evils, injures the soul. These darling idols create an excitement, a morbid action of the nervous system, and after the immediate influence of the stimulants is gone, it lets down below par just to that degree that its stimulating properties elevated above par. Those who use tobacco, tea, and coffee should lay aside those idols and put their cost into the treasury of the Lord. Some have never made a sacrifice for the cause of God and are asleep as to what God requires of them. Some of the very poorest will have the greatest struggle to deny themselves of these stimulants. This individual sacrifice is not required because the cause of God is suffering for means. But every heart will be tested, every character developed. It is principle that God's people must act upon. The living principle must be carried out in the life. Cravings interfere with spiritual worship. Tea and coffee, as well as tobacco, have an injurious effect upon this system. Tea is intoxicating. Though less in degree, its effect is the same in character as that of spiritous liquors. Coffee has a greater tendency to becloud the intellect and benumb the energies. It is not so powerful as tobacco, but is similar in its effects. The arguments brought against tobacco may also be urged against the use of tea and coffee. Those who are in the habit of using tea, coffee, tobacco, opium, or spiritous liquors cannot worship God when they are deprived of the accustomed indulgence. Let them, while deprived of these stimulants, engage in the worship of God, and divine grace would be powerless to animate, enliven, or spiritualize their prayers or their testimonies. These professed Christians should consider the means of their enjoyment. Is it from above or from beneath? The stupefied transgressor, not guiltless. Satan sees that he cannot have so great power over minds when the appetite is kept under control as when it is indulged, 
and he is constantly working to lead men to indulgence. Under the influence of unhealthful food, the conscience becomes stupefied, the mind is darkened, and its susceptibility to impressions is impaired. But the guilt of the transgressor is not lessened because the conscience has been violated till it has become insensible. Since a healthy state of mind depends upon the normal condition of the vital forces, what care should be exercised that neither stimulants nor narcotics be used? Yet, we see that a large number of those who profess to be Christians are using tobacco. They deplore the evils of intemperance. Yet, while speaking against the use of liquors, these very men will eject the juice of tobacco. There must be change of sentiment with reference to tobacco using before the root of the evil will be reached. We press the subject still closer. Tea and coffee are fostering the appetite for stronger stimulants. And then we come still closer home to the preparation of food and ask, is temperance practiced in all things? Are the reforms which are essential to health and happiness carried out here? Every true Christian will have control of his appetites and passions. Unless he is free from the bondage of appetite, he cannot be a true obedient servant of Christ. The indulgence of appetite and passion blunts the effect of truth upon the heart. A losing battle with appetite. Intemperance commences at our tables in the use of unhealthful food. After a time, through continued indulgence, the digestive organs become weakened and the food taken does not satisfy the appetite. Unhealthy conditions are established and there is a craving for more stimulating food. Tea, coffee, and flesh meats produce an immediate effect. Under the influence of these poisons, the nervous system is excited, and in some cases, for the time being, the intellect seems to be invigorated and the imagination to be more vivid. Because these stimulants produce for the time being such agreeable results, many conclude that they really need them and continue their use. But there is always a reaction. The nervous system, having been unduly excited, borrowed power for present use from its future resources of strength. All this temporary invigoration of the system is followed by depression. In proportion as these stimulants temporarily invigorate the system will be the letting down of the power of the excited organs after the stimulus has lost its force. The appetite is educated to crave something stronger, which will have a tendency to keep up and increase the agreeable excitement until indulgence becomes habit and there is a continual craving for stronger stimulus as tobacco, wines, and liquors. The more the appetite is indulged, the more frequent will be its demands, 
and the more difficult of control. The more debilitated the system becomes and the less able to do without unnatural stimulus, the more the passion for these things increases until the will is overborne and there seems to be no power to deny the unnatural craving for these indulgences. The only safe course. The only safe course is to touch not, taste not, handle not. Tea, coffee, wines, tobacco, opium, and alcoholic drinks. The necessity for the men of this generation to call to their aid the power of the will strengthened by the grace of God in order to withstand the temptations of Satan and resist the least indulgence of perverted appetite is twice as great as it was several generations ago. The Conflict Between Truth and Self-Indulgence The facts relative to Korah and his company who rebelled against Moses and Aaron and against Jehovah are recorded for a warning to God's people, especially those who live upon the earth near the close of time. Satan has led persons to imitate the example of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram in raising insurrection among the people of God. Those who permit themselves to rise in opposition to the plain testimony become self-deceived and have really thought that those upon whom God laid the burden of his work were exalted above the people of God and that their counsels and reproofs were uncalled for. They have risen in opposition to the plain testimony which God would have them bear in rebuking the wrongs among God's people. The testimonies born against hurtful indulgences as tea, coffee, snuff, and tobacco have irritated a certain class because it would destroy their idols. Many for a time were undecided whether to make an entire sacrifice of all these hurtful things or reject the plain testimonies born and yield to the clamors of appetite. They occupied an unsettled position. There was a conflict between their convictions of truth and their self-indulgences. Their state of indecision made them weak, and with many, appetite prevailed. Their sense of sacred things was perverted by the use of these slow poisons, and they at length fully decided, let the consequences be what it might, they would not deny self. This fearful decision at once raised a wall of separation between them and those who were cleansing themselves as God has commanded, from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, and were perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. The straight testimonies born were in their way and caused them great uneasiness, and they found relief in warring against them and striving to make themselves and others believe that they were untrue. They said the people were all right, but it was reproving testimonies which made the trouble. And when the rebellious unfurl their banner, all the disaffected rally around the standard, and all the spiritually defective, the lame, the halt, and the blind, unite their influence 
to scatter and sow discord. The Roots of Intemperance Great efforts are made to put down intemperance, but there is much effort that is not directed to the right point. The advocates of temperance reform should be awake to the evils resulting from the use of unwholesome food, condiments, tea, and coffee. We bid all temperance workers Godspeed, but we invite them to look more deeply into the cause of the evil they war against and to be sure that they are consistent in reform. It must be kept before the people that the right balance of the mental and moral powers depends in a great degree on the right condition of the physical system. All narcotics and unnatural stimulants that enfeeble and degrade the physical nature tend to lower the tone of the intellect and morals. Intemperance lies at the foundation of the moral depravity of the world. By the indulgence of perverted appetite, man loses his power to resist temptation. Temperance reformers have a work to do in educating the people in these lines. Teach them that health, character, and even life are endangered by the use of stimulants which excite the exhausted energies to unnatural spasmodic action. Persevere and nature will rally. In relation to tea, coffee, tobacco, and alcoholic drinks, the only safe course is to touch not, taste not, handle not. The tendency of tea, coffee, and similar drinks is in the same direction as that of alcoholic liquor and tobacco, and in some cases the habit is as difficult to break as it is for the drunkard to give up intoxicants. Those who attempt to leave off these stimulants will for a time feel a loss and will suffer without them, but by persistence they will overcome the craving and cease to feel the lack. Nature may require a little time to recover from the abuse she has suffered, but give her a chance and she will again rally and perform her work nobly and well. Satan is corrupting minds and destroying souls through his subtle temptations. Will our people see and feel the sin of indulging perverted appetite? Will they discard tea, coffee, flesh meats, and all stimulating food and devote the means expended for those hurtful indulgences to spreading the truth? What power can the tobacco devotees have to stay the progress of intemperance? There must be a revolution in our world upon the subject of tobacco before the axe is laid at the root of the tree. We press the subject still closer. Tea and coffee are fostering the appetite which is developing for stronger stimulants as tobacco and liquor. Concerning flesh meat, we can all say, let it alone. And all should bear a clear testimony against tea and coffee, never using them. They are narcotics, injurious alike to the brain and to the other organs of the body. Let the members of our churches deny every selfish appetite. Every penny expended for tea, coffee, and flesh meat 
is worse than wasted. For these things hinder the best development of the physical, mental, and spiritual powers. A suggestion of Satan. Some think that they cannot reform, that health would be sacrificed should they attempt to leave the use of tea, tobacco, and flesh meats. This is a suggestion of Satan. It is these hurtful stimulants that are surely undermining the Constitution and preparing the system for acute diseases by impairing nature's fine machinery and batting down her fortifications erected against disease and premature decay. The use of unnatural stimulants is destructive to health and has a benumbing influence upon the brain, making it impossible to appreciate eternal things. Those who cherish these idols cannot rightly value the salvation which Christ has wrought out for them by a life of self-denial, continual suffering, and reproach, and by finally yielding his own sinless life to save perishing man from death. Part 3. Cereal Substitutes for Tea and Coffee Neither tea nor coffee should be served. Caramel cereal, made as nicely as possible, should be served in the place of these health-destroying beverages. Under some circumstances, persons may require a third meal. This should, however, if taken at all, be very light and have food most easily digested. Crackers, the English biscuit or Zweibach, and fruit or cereal coffee are the foods best suited for the evening meal. I use a little boiled milk in my simple homemade coffee. Immoderate use of hot and injurious drinks. Hot drinks are not required except as a medicine. The stomach is greatly injured by a large quantity of hot food and hot drink. Thus the throat and digestive organs, and through them the other organs of the body, are enfeebled. Part 4. Cider. We are living in an age of intemperance, and catering to the appetite of the cider bibber is an offense against God. With others, you have engaged in this work because you have not followed the light. Had you stood in the light, you would not, you could not have done this. Every one of you who has acted a part in this work will come under the condemnation of God unless you make an entire change in your business. You need to be in earnest. You need to commence the work at once to clear your souls from condemnation. After you had taken a decided stand in opposition to active participation in the work of the temperance societies, you might still have retained an influence over others for good had you acted conscientiously in accordance with the holy faith which you profess. But by engaging in the manufacture of cider, you have hurt your influence very much, and what is worse, 
You have brought reproach upon the truth, and your own souls have been injured. You have been building up a barrier between yourselves and the temperance cause. Your course led unbelievers to question your principles. You are not making straight paths for your feet, and the lame are halting and stumbling over you to perdition. I cannot see how, in the light of the law of God, Christians can conscientiously engage in the raising of hops or in the manufacture of wine or cider for the market. All these articles may be put to a good use and prove a blessing, or they may be put to a wrong use and prove a temptation and a curse. Cider and wine may be canned when fresh and kept sweet a long time, and if used in an unfermented state, they will not dethrone reason. Moderate drinking, the highway to drunkenness. Persons may become just as really intoxicated on wine and cider as on stronger drinks, and the worst kind of inebriation is produced by these so-called milder drinks. The passions are more perverse. The transformation of character is greater, more determined and obstinate. A few quarts of cider or wine may awaken a taste for stronger drinks, and in many cases, those who have become confirmed drunkards have thus laid the foundation of the drinking habit. For some persons, it is by no means safe to have wine or cider in the house. They have inherited an appetite for stimulants, which Satan is continually soliciting them to indulge. If they yield to his temptations, they do not stop. Appetite clamors for indulgence and is gratified to their ruin. The brain is benumbed and clouded. Reason no longer holds the reins, but they are laid on the neck of lust. Licentiousness, adultery, and vices of almost every type are committed as the result of indulging the appetite for wine and cider. A professor of religion who loves these stimulants and accustoms himself to their use never grows in grace. He becomes gross and sensual. The animal passions control the higher powers of the mind, and virtue is not cherished. Moderate drinking is the school in which men are receiving an education for the drunkard's career. So gradually does Satan lead away from the strongholds of temperance. So insidiously do the harmless wine and cider exert their influence upon the taste that the highway to drunkenness is entered upon all unsuspectingly. The taste for stimulants is cultivated. The nervous system is disordered. Satan keeps the mind in a fever of unrest. And the poor victim, imagining himself perfectly secure, goes on and on until every barrier is broken down, every principle sacrificed. The strongest resolutions are undermined, and eternal interests are not strong enough to keep the debased appetite under the control of reason. Some are never really drunk, but are always under the influence of cider or fermented wine. 
They are feverish, unbalanced in mind, not really delirious, but in fully as bad a condition, for all the noble powers of the mind are perverted. A tendency to disease of various kinds, as dropsy, liver complaint, trembling nerves, and a determination of blood to the head results from the habitual use of sour cider. By its use, many bring upon themselves permanent disease. Some die of consumption or fall under the power of apoplexy from this cause alone. Some suffer from dyspepsia. Every vital function is deadened, and the physicians tell them that they have liver complaint, when, if they would break open the cider barrel and never replace it, their abused life forces would recover their vigor. Cider drinking leads to the use of stronger drinks. The stomach loses its natural vigor, and something stronger is needed to arouse it to action. We see the power that appetite for strong drink has over men. We see how many of all professions and of heavy responsibilities, men of exalted station, of eminent talents, of great attainments, of fine feelings, of strong nerves, and of good reasoning powers, sacrifice everything for the indulgence of appetite until they are reduced to the level of the brutes, and in very many cases their downward course commenced with the use of wine or cider. Our example to be on the side of reform. When intelligent men and women who are professedly Christians plead that there is no harm in making wine or cider for the market, because when unfermented it will not intoxicate, I feel sad at heart. I know there is another side to this subject that they refuse to look upon, for selfishness has closed their eyes to the terrible evils that may result from the use of these stimulants. As a people, we profess to be reformers, to be light-bearers in the world, to be faithful sentinels for God, guarding every avenue whereby Satan could come in with his temptations to pervert the appetite. Our example and influence must be a power on the side of reform. We must abstain from any practice which will blunt the conscience or encourage temptation. We must open no door that will give Satan access to the mind of one human being formed in the image of God. If all would be vigilant and faithful in guarding the little openings made by the moderate use of the so-called harmless wine and cider, the highway to drunkenness would be closed up. What is needed in every community is firm purpose and a will to touch not, taste not, handle not. Then the temperance reformation will be strong, permanent, and thorough. The world's Redeemer, who knows well the state of society in the last days, represents eating and drinking as the sins that condemn this age. He tells us that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man is revealed. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until that day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. Just such a state of things will exist in the last days, 
and those who believe these warnings will use the utmost caution not to take a course that will bring them under condemnation. Brethren, let us look at this matter in the light of the Scriptures and exert a decided influence on the side of temperance in all things. Apples and grapes are God's gifts. They may be put to excellent use as healthful articles of food, or they may be abused by being put to a wrong use. Already God is blighting the grapevine and the apple crop because of men's sinful practices. We stand before the world as reformers. Let us give no occasion for infidels or unbelievers to reproach our faith. Said Christ, Ye are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Let us show that our hearts and consciences are under the transforming influence of divine grace and that our lives are governed by the pure principles of the law of God, even though these principles may require the sacrifice of temporal interests. Under the Microscope Persons who have inherited an appetite for unnatural stimulants should by no means have wine, beer, or cider in their sight or within their reach, for this keeps the temptation constantly before them. Regarding sweet cider as harmless, many have no scruples in purchasing it freely. But it remains sweet for a short time only. Then fermentation begins. The sharp taste which it then acquires makes it all the more acceptable to many palates, and the user is loath to admit that it has become hard or fermented. There is danger to health in the use of even sweet cider as ordinarily produced. If people could see what the microscope reveals in regard to the cider they buy, few would be willing to drink it. Often, those who manufacture cider for the market are not careful as to the condition of the fruit used and the juice of wormy and decayed apples is expressed. Those who would not think of using the poisonous rotten apples in any other way will drink the cider made from them and call it a luxury. But the microscope shows that even when fresh from the press, this pleasant beverage is wholly unfit for use. Intoxication is just as really produced by wine, beer, and cider as by stronger drinks. The use of these drinks awakens the taste for those that are stronger, and thus the liquor habit is established. Moderate drinking is the school in which men are educated for the drunkard's career. Yet so insidious is the work of these milder stimulants that the highway to drunkenness is entered before the victim suspects his danger. Part 5. Fruit Juice Sweet Grape Juice The pure juice of the grape, free from fermentation, is a wholesome drink. But many of the alcoholic drinks, which are now so largely consumed, contain death-dealing potions. Those who partake of them are often maddened, bereft of their reason. Under their deadly influence, men commit crimes of violence and often murder. Beneficial to Health Make fruit the article of diet to be placed on your table.
which will constitute the bill of fare. The juices of fruit mingled with bread will be highly enjoyed. Good, ripe, undecayed fruit is a thing we should thank the Lord for because it is beneficial to health.